you've already done hard things is a concept I use a lot with my clients when we're at an impasse and they are wondering, how do I do it? And I say, because you've already done it before. Welcome to The Shift, where we search for ways to do better by thinking better. Whether you're going through a major life change, looking to deepen your understanding of yourself, or hoping to improve your relationships with others, The Shift is here for you. We're your hosts, Isla and Yashar, an endlessly curious sister and brother team. As certified brain-based executive coaches with backgrounds in medicine and management, we combine the neurosciences, performance psychology, strategic planning methodology, and mindfulness techniques to empower your transformation from the inside out. Join us in conversation as we explore better ways to show up for ourselves and each other. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of The Shift. So today I'm bringing to the table a conversation around a popularized phrase, which is, we can do hard things. Now, this phrase has been made popular by Glennon Doyle, the author, and you see it a lot on t-shirts, on tote bags. They have a podcast around it and we love it. And there's a there's an energy around this concept of we can do hard things that helps people show up as their best. But I'm here to add a spin on it um, and maybe an upgrade if you wish. Let's see how you feel about this. So when I look at this phrase and I think of all the clients we work with and how we do our training and the core of our methodology, the phrase changes for me from we can do hard things to you've already done hard things. And why that is, is because I place so much emphasis on inventory. And that's such a critical element to how we work with our clients. Yash, I would love to hear your point of view. All I got to say is amen, sister. I love <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Funny enough, listening to you do the intro for this podcast gave me more of an aha moment because there is such a slight change in the verbiage. However, that slight change completely alters what the brain has to process to get behind and excited about the idea. From like, you can do hard things. It's like, well, how do you know? To you've already done hard things. Like, oh, really? Which ones? And it goes to the most amazing place for us, which is curiosity. It's like, okay, well, if I've done hard things, let's, let's figure that. What are those hard things that I've done? And how can they help me here? So that was a really nice kind of moment for me, even though I know exactly what we're talking about. It was nice just to feel that and that like freshness of, oh yeah, um, that lends itself to an exciting moment where aha moments are ready to be born. And so let's, 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 let's dive into it. Yes. So this reframe we're presenting again today is again, thinking of this concept that is so powerful in and of itself of we can do hard things. The reframe for us is you've already done hard things. And again, what that is doing is igniting the power of inventory. What does inventory mean? It means all of the times in your life that you've already shown up, that you've already done the thing that you thought you couldn't do. The power that's there is also critical to motivation. Motivation is usually the hardest things for people to get, you know, well, I want to, but how, 
I really like to, but oh, I don't have the energy. Motivation is a superpower. It's a critical ingredient to getting us to the place we want to get it. But the most powerful place we can get motivation is on past instances where we've shown up as that version of ourselves, where we've proven ourselves right, where we have expanded and grown in the hardest of times. And so you've already done hard things is a concept I use a lot with my clients when we're at an impasse and they are wondering, how do I do it? And I say, because you've already done it before. And more than motivation, actually, I think, because I hear this a lot, especially with the mental, emotional strength building side of our coaching is confidence. People say, I don't have enough self-confidence or I don't have confidence in X, Y, or Z. And I always joke with them and I say, you have enough confidence. You just don't have the right type. And they say, what do you mean? And I say, the, the root of confidence is actually intense trust. And so self-confidence is to have intense trust in yourself. So the silly example that I always give is like, if you and I, I every Friday night would go out and have a drink and I would show up 10 minutes early and have your favorite drink ready. So when you rolled up on time, it was there waiting for you. You would have trust. You would have confidence. You would believe that this is what the pattern, this is what happens. And let's say about, you know, 10, 12, 15 different Fridays go by this way. And the 16th Friday, I'm half an hour late. You show up, I'm not there. The drink's not ready. I bet you you would start to get worried. You would text me, you would call me. You'd be like, hey, where are you, bro? If I don't pick up, you'll probably get even more worried because I broke your confidence in the pattern. I broke what you believe to be the pattern of the way things happen. I broke the way I usually behave. And so you have confidence in something. And when you have a lack of self-confidence, it's not that you actually have low confidence. It's you, you believe that you would behave in a way that you're not proud of. You believe that you will think of a situation in a way that is disempowering. You show up to situations that are important to you in a way that you don't want to, and you want to change that. So you actually have confidence in the wrong direction. So we have to change the narrative. We have to change the behaviors. We have to change the emotional prowess in that moment so that you feel more trusting of how you're going to show up and asking, what have you already done similar to this? What have you already done in the past that shows you you can show up in a trustworthy manner for yourself and for others, ignites the brain to see a path forward in a way that no amount of beating your chest and someone else telling you you can do it can do. And so that's where this is really powerful. The motivation comes after we realize we can trust in ourselves and therefore we're ready to do the behavior again and again and again and again. And that's when it becomes sort of like an automatic, which is really interesting and cool. Absolutely. We've talked a lot about this on previous podcasts that the brain, it's easier for the brain to repeat a pattern. So when it's kind of at the edge of doing something new, it's overwhelmed, it's scared. It doesn't have, you know, the tools in which to go forward, pulling from inventory of the past allows it to see what is possible. And again, less, less work because something similar enough has occurred already. So there's some sort of mental path, a mental network that we can work off of. And what's really also interesting is when you want to make any sort of change, you have to actually tell the brain what to do. You have to give an option that is outside of the thing you don't want to do. 
if you don't want to smoke, you can't just say, I don't want to smoke. That's not good enough. It's not strong enough. You have to give an alternative. And when we move towards the alternative with enough focus and enough interest and enough emotion and with enough patterning, then the brain is actually going to start uncoupling or dewiring the networks that move us towards smoking, because now it has a new kind of area, a new kind of motivation, a new behavior that it seeks and it understands as the next best thing to do. And those networks become stronger and stronger. And so the inventory does that as well. Again, it gives you, okay, you, you, you're scared to do something. You think you're going to do it wrong. Instead of saying, well, don't do it wrong or don't be scared, give yourself something more powerful to focus on. The past narrative is so powerful. Now, the question that's interesting to me, and it comes up a long conversation is, what if I want to do something that I've already done poorly? What if I have a past narrative that towards something that's hard that I've already quote unquote screwed up, whatever that may be in the situation. Do you have any ideas around that? Yeah. So I think that's such a critical element. Thank you for bringing it up because I think it falls into a line, especially when we are working with so many people looking to change past behavior, but they're saying, well, my past behavior didn't work out for me. I'm looking for new behavior. So inventory falls in our trifecta that, um, of how we empower people to move forward towards their goals. So it's the second part. So the first part of that trifecta is getting a real clear foundation of values. So that's how I would address it. And so let me go into it a little bit to explain what that means. The first um, sessions with us, the first thing we're going to tackle together is you getting very clear on what your core values are. We define it as this term of your best leader, but essentially it means what are the critical elements in the way you want to show up? Why are they important to you? What do they mean to you? What do they look like? What do they sound like? What do they smell like? Once we get really clear on what these core values are to you, they become the foundation in which we make decisions going forward. So in an instance where you are faced with a challenge, you want to do a hard thing, as it were, first, we're aligning with those. We're remembering the version of you that wants to show up to face this challenge. We are remembering the kind of legacy you are trying to leave behind and why this even matters in the first place. So once we tackle your why, then we can move into the next step. So the next step of this trifecta is where the inventory comes in. So in this point, now that we have a model of the behavior that we are trying to repeat, we look for that in the past. So we search and we search. It's like, there is nothing ever. So we keep looking. I won't let the brain or the client in this case, give up in the sense that it just simply cannot be true that a hundred percent of the time you, you showed up a hundred percent in the way that is incongruent with your ideal self. If it's 1%, I will search and find that 1% when we are doing this inventory work. That is what the muscle I'm trying to strengthen. We already know our past narratives, our patterns have a gravitational pull. We already know they are so loud and they are taking up all this conversation. I don't need to give them a microphone. What I need to do is look for the parts of you that are maybe need a little bit more reinforcement, need to be believed in, need to be looked at again and again and say, hey, you did this this time. For each person, it will look a little different. The only difference is some people's inventory is quieter and the loud parts are taking over. So our job is to quiet the noise and find that part of ourselves. Our intuition will usually guide us there, but if our muscles are weak, it will take a little work in 
realigning with ourselves, all the work they're doing with you, Yashar, the emotional regulation, self-awareness pieces of understanding what our values even are and what our goals are. Then slowly as we do it, it almost becomes like we're sifting and then the diamond pieces will show up. But that sifting process means we're putting all of these muscles to work to say, hey, you currently don't serve me. You go in the back seat. Thank you for your time. But right now you're not part of this conversation until we finally get those pieces of us where we see the inventory of the version of ourselves that has existed over time, maybe buried, but they are there. Yeah, I think that's super critical because it's very easy for someone who has seen what they identify as failure in a certain domain, relationship, work, athletics, finances, spirituality, whatever. And to see that failure and over-identify with that failure and that over-identification of any side of patterning of life, let alone a personality trait or characteristic trait of yours is dangerous. And, and, and it can, it can overshadow, like you said, the other sides of one's ideas, ideals, and ways of being. And so that we're over-identified, we're over-expressed to one side but it doesn't mean the other side doesn't exist. So that's one really powerful point you brought up. The second thing is we start with values, as you said, and, and that's so crucial because oftentimes I ask people, let's say they say, okay, well, this similar situation, I screwed that up too. And then I can ask them like, did you actually show up embodying the best of who you are? And if they even have an answer to that, they'll usually say no, but most often they say, I don't even know what that even means. So then how are you ever to step into your life doing the things the way you want to do it if you don't have an understanding of who that is, what the best of you is? And so when someone says to answer my own question in a different way than you did, well, I have such a backstory of screw-ups, it, it's like saying, well, I can't play hockey, but I've never been trained in the sport, or I can't uh, do math but I never had a teacher willing to sit down and, and teach it to me in a way that I can understand it. This I can't is just evidence that you haven't been given the opportunity to identify how you thrive in that domain and especially how you thrive within yourself thinking about that domain and how you can use the traits of you that you admire to engage in that domain. So I don't think there's anyone listening to this podcast message us if, if we're wrong that could say that you've totally have been connected to the version of you that you're proud of. You went into a situation giving the best of you the way you knew how in that moment with the information you had and the training you had and that you quote unquote screwed it up. You might've not got the job. You might've not got the date. You might've not been able to do whatever you think is important. But there's a different sense of failure when you go in as yourself, being yourself, feeling yourself, doing it as the best of you and something not happening the way you thought or you thought you wanted to work out versus you going in, you know, flailing, trying to make it all up on the spot and feeling like a failure. I think those are very separate instances. And I think in this situation, we have to be really clear on which one are we talking about as well. 
Absolutely. So I did mention a trifecta. So that means there's three points to this triangle. And so the first point, like I said, is our why, is our values, is our core foundation, our base. Then from there, I ask you to pull inventory of all the times you've shown up as that version of you, even if they're micro moments, micro moments are our most power powerful. What are all of this time? So again, this is the place where I say, you've already done hard things. Tell me about them. And last but not least, part of this equation is aligned action. So we know our why, we know the version of us that is part of our core values. We remember all the instances that we've shown up as this, so we can feel it, we can embody that feeling and this process to know what is possible. And last but not least, then we say, then what is the next right thing? What does the next right thing look like now? If I ask you what the next right thing is before we do the other steps, it's going to be limited insight. It's going to be buried in past narratives and patterns until we take some time to clear all that noise, that next aligned action piece is going to be interrupted or disturbed by all of this other noise. Now it comes with a different sense of clarity, of purpose, of direction, like Yasha said, of confidence. It comes with a moment of growth mindset, knowing we are able to show up, we are able to evolve, and there is possibility for a new type of future. And you didn't say, I'm on st step A, how do I get to step Z? You said next best step, or as one of your famous lines that I repeat all the time, baby steps, but beautiful ones. What is the next best step is such a powerful question in this scenario, because you are trying to take a step, not solve the whole darn thing. You are embodied in a state, in a mind-body state of alignment of your best self, and then saying, okay, to tackle this challenge, what do I do next? Once you put that one foot in front of the other, then it's easier to keep going. But most often we ask what's the next best step, and our brains run wild and try to solve the whole thing. And, and that in itself becomes a problem. We have to slow down and try to go to the next best step. And a quick example I would give of this, I heard someone else say it in another podcast. They were simply giving the example of making an appointment for a mechanic for their car. And I was listening along and I was like, yeah, yeah you just make the appointment. More. Like I was really rushing through it. And he was making the argument that in fact, there's so many more steps than we give credit for just making an appointment for the mechanic, including obviously calling, asking what their availability is, checking with your availability, maybe checking with your spouse, or your friend that you share the car with, if, if that time is okay, then the day of, you know, finding where your keys are, finding the address of how to get, and he just broke it down in the, the most minutia of details. And I was really overwhelmed almost by the amount of steps for taking your car to the mechanics. And so the next best step really is the next best step, because there are many more steps that need to be um, looked at. And once you do one step, it gives you more and new information to figure out the next step. And that's why it's so powerful when you go step by step and not try to, you know, jump from A to Z. Absolutely. That is an exercise I do with the teams all the time. We usually get it when we feel like someone's underperforming or they're not doing the job right. Again, in quotations around the right, 
And I say, what's a job? And they explain it to me. I said, great. What are the steps to do? And they're like, you just do this. I said, that's how it feels like to you. You've done it for X amount of years. I need you to actually break it down step by step by step by step. And when we do this process, they realize that no wonder this person, this employee, this staff member, this team member is not you know, mind reading their way through. There are so many steps that they have to consider and think about because they're in training, because they're learning something new. Something that one person sees as automatic does not necessarily mean it's automatic unless you've done it a bunch of times. So I always make them break down the task in this way just so they have clarity on how the other person is experiencing it, but also for them to understand how much work it takes to get something done that we usually avoid or ignore or just are not aware of. Another great example is we talk a lot about goals and we set these lofty goals and aspirations that they're based on our values and based on the things we want um, and how we see ourselves thriving. So example, you want a New York Times bestseller, amazing, you know, and you set it in your values and you understand why it's important to you and you remember all the times you've done the, the things. And so then it comes to aligned action. You're like, well, I just have to write the book. And I said, okay, great. But what's the next thing? It's like, I just have to write this. I said, what's the next smallest step? And we break it down. It's like, I have to write X amount of pages a day for all this time. Great. Smaller. I say smaller and smaller and smaller until it's basically like, I will allocate one hour a day and I will do it. And then what's that next step is like, when is your hour today? And that's how we break it down so that it's very clear on the how, again, the brain needs that, you know, visioning and these macro goals are amazing to build hope, you know, to give us something to thrive for. What they don't give us are the daily tools to do it. So we need to match that with a tangible aligned action, a baby step again, that allows us to move the needle one step closer. And what happens is in the moments where we feel like we're failing, or we're not doing it right, that's when, again, we go to this inventory piece where I say, when have you done hard things before? And then you remember, and then that gives you the confidence to do it again. Yeah, that's a really great example. And I think it shows how you can take anything really, whether it's a car mechanic, writing a book, uh, you know, getting groceries, and, and really practice the idea of what's the next best step. So training your brain in the everyday of, of looking for the next best step instead of like solving the whole entire day or the whole entire project in one foul swoop. Exactly. We're built on cultures and societies that really push us to this feeling of if we're not constantly producing, we're failing. And unfortunately, what that does, it dims our light and it exhausts our muscles. So we're constantly in the state of overwhelm. The reframe of you've already done hard things reminds you how many times you've already shown up. Breaking it down in baby steps shows you all the things you're already doing that you ignore because they don't seem big enough. Maybe we love this concept of we can do hard things. We believe it. That's literally the work we do is trusting in you that you can do hard things. What we love even more is reminding you that without us, without anything, you've already done the hard things. And that inventory is a goldmine for your untapped potential. And that's what we use to propel you forward to thrive. We hope this helps you optimize the way you showed up. And we'd love to hear how you have already done hard things. Thank you for listening, friends. What shifted for you during this episode? We'd love to hear your insights. Write us with any questions, commentary, or episode ideas at 
theshift at mindshiftleadership.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would deeply appreciate a like and subscribe. The Shift is brought to you by MindShift Leadership, a heart-centered, evidence-based, mindset-powered leadership company, empowering you with the training to prioritize mental health, inclusion, and performance optimization.